All right. Again, welcome, guys. Uh, this morning, I am, I don't know, I'm feeling kind of like excited this morning. Uh, I'm not totally sure why. Yeah, there we go. I, like, I love the hoots. You're with me. Uh, quick show of hands. How many of you, either yourself or somebody in your family, back to school this last week? Many of us? Okay, this is always like such an interesting time. Uh, there's this whole kind of cluster of emotions associated with this, especially with parents. This, uh, this week, both of my daughters went back to school. My eldest, Amelia, she's, she started second grade, which is just nuts. She's growing so fast, it's kind of freaking me out. Um, but what hit me harder was my youngest started kindergarten, and it's just a trip. So like, those of you guys that are in this season of life with your kids in kindergarten and stuff, you know, like the first day of school, it's like a half day, right? So they have like, it's basically kind of like half kind of hybrid school day where they get to know their classroom and their teacher. And then it's like an orientation. So the room's full of parents too. It's this kind of interesting thing. It's kind of like an orientation. And it's funny because you can look around the room and it's a bunch of parents and I'm, I'm just kind of observing because I, I, I did this a couple years ago with Amelia. It was our first time and it was a lot more... Uh, just kind of emotions are heightened. You know, your baby's going to school and you have to like let go of their hand as they walk into the campus with their oversized backpack and the whole thing, you know? <clears throat> so this time wasn't as emotionally challenging. Uh, so I was just a lot more observant. And I'm like scanning the room and watching the parents, you know? And you could tell which parents were kind of like in the same boat as me. They've kind of been through this before, but it's still kind of hard. And then you could see the parents that are like the whole time just fighting back tears. You know what I mean? Like they're like the whole time. It's such this interesting dynamic, but uh, so that was, what, what day was that? Like Wednesday. <clears throat> and so I spent m- half the day Wednesday just at the school and kind of going through the orientation. They have this assembly for the parents. And it was interesting for me because, like I said, I was more observant this time. I'm just kind of checking things out why they do what they do, what they do. And it got me thinking about this reality that like, Everything exists for what? Like for a school, for a school, how it's structured, all of that exists. Why? For the students. Everything that they do, that the role of any administrator, the role of the staff, the role of the teacher, the classroom, all of it, the building, it was built for students. It's not like, hey, let's collect a bunch of students so that we can build this building. No, they build the building for the students. It wasn't like, hey, let's employ a bunch of teachers and administrators for the sake of just like giving people jobs. Oh, that's a wonderful thing. It's, it's for what? For the students. Absolutely. A school and its structure, all of it is for students, to see them learn, to see them grow, to see them develop, ultimately to see them become educated, right? And I'm like observing this and I'm going, oh, this is kind of cool. Like I can see the intentionality behind what the staff's doing, what the teachers are doing, the way that they've structured things. It's beautiful. What about our church? Like if someone were to come to you and ask you, hey, why does your church exist? What would be your answer? Hey, your church is like an organization that's structured. Like why is your church structured the way that it is? Why does it exist? Why is it structured? That's what we're going to talk about today. Okay, so we're taking a break in our series in John because these, these new gospel communities are, 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 these new intro to gospel communities are forming, which is so exciting. Uh, our, our, our current gospel communities are, are, are kind of reforming after going on break for the summer. This is a perfect time for us to just pause for a second in John kind of recast some vision so that we can answer their question, not just maybe potentially to our neighbors and other people, but even to our own hearts to inform not just what we do, but why we do it. So go ahead and grab your Bibles. We're going to be in, uh, <clears throat> what is it going to be? It's going to be 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I almost sent you to the Old Testament first. That would have been a mistake. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you don't have your Bible, we'll have words on the screen for you. Why does our church exist? Why is it structured the way that it is? Um, just to give you a heads up, this is kind of going to be a different morning, okay? It's going to be a lot more vision than like a typical preach would be, but I think it's important. I think it's going to be a blessing. Um, that being said, I am going to go longer than I normally would, so buckle up. <laughs> All right, hopefully you're there by now. If you're not, join me really quick. I just want to pray for our time. 
without the Spirit of God, I can do nothing. Um, and I really want to honor you and love you and serve you, okay? So you pray with me? Father, I'm just so aware of um, your holiness this morning. Uh, you care so much more about why we do what we do than what we actually do because the why informs what we're worshiping. Like Andrea said this morning, like what we're ascribing worth to. Um, and my prayer uh, is that I would really not do anything to get in the way of what you want to accomplish in each of us this morning. I want to honor my friends. I want to honor my family. I want to honor you. Thank you that you're present with us now. Thank you that uh, you're making us aware of that now. Spirit, you're with us. And you love us. So would you guide our time and point us to Jesus? We love you. And we pray these things in his holy and beautiful name. Amen. Okay, so really quickly, some of this stuff's going to be review for many of you, but I think it's important, okay? We talk about the church as the family all the time. Uh, It is by far the most frequent metaphor to describe the church in the scriptures. The church is the family of God, right? God is father because of what Jesus has done. He's adopted us into this family. We relate to each other as brothers and sisters. Him as father, it's this beautiful picture of family the way that it's supposed to be. Okay, all of us, no matter how amazing your family was, all of us come from a broken family because all of us come from a family full of sinners, all right? People who choose my way over God's way. All of us, okay? So when we talk about family, it's not, it's, not the, um, not, it's not the poor experience or the, or the distorted, I should say. It's not the distorted view of family. It's family the way God intended. Depth, loyalty, beauty, faithfulness, love, service, care. Okay, true family, right? So by far the most frequent metaphor. Another metaphor that we see in the New Testament quite often is this idea of body, in the same way I have a body, you have a body, okay? So I'm going to read you here out of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to bounce around a little bit in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're also going to jump over to Romans and Ephesians and stuff. But I want you to listen in to the imagery in these verses, okay? If you've been around the church, this will be familiar, but I want you to kind of flip on your imagination with me and picture this. Okay, let's jump in. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 12. Here we go. Paul writes this to the Corinthian church. He says this. For just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, so different kinds of people, all walks, all backgrounds, and we were all given one spirit to drink. Verse 14, indeed, the body is not one part, but many. Okay, and then for several more verses, he's going to go on to talk about how a body needs to have different parts. Like if the body was just made up of eyes, it'd be pretty messy. If the body was just feet, it'd be messy. So the body needs to have different parts. And then he also talks about how, how much each part needs the other parts. So like the eye needs the hand. And the head needs the feet. If the head's like, I want to walk over there, it needs the feet. You tracking with this? Great. So let's skip down then to verse 26. He says this. So if one member, member like part, member, part of the body, one part, one member of the body suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. Okay, Pause for a second. We see a ton of themes here just in these few verses. Really important things that have implications for the church. The first one is this. You see this diversity. Different things. Eyes, ears, nose, feet, hands, different parts, different functions. There's diversity here. It's not like one size fits all. It's not we're all the same. There's a beautiful diversity here. There's also, equally beautifully, a unity amongst that diversity. Like there's this beautiful, like, togetherness of different things, different parts, different members, different people. And there's also something equally beautiful. It's this idea of interdependence. So not independence, like I do, I'm strong, I do everything on my own, I can handle myself. Like, what is it? In like the first couple pages of the Bible, it says it's not good for man to be alone. Independence is not the way you're created. It's not good for you to be alone. 
okay? So you see this not, not independence, not codependence, but interdependence. Everybody, kind of, there's this beautiful contribution and, and, and receiving and contributing from everybody, like a body, right? The hand needs the feet, and the eyes need the ears, and so on and so forth. So quickly, before we continue on, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, how closely does this describe your relationship with other Christians? Unity amongst diversity and interdependence. Not independence, not codependence, interdependence. Let's flip over to Romans chapter 12. That's going to be towards the left in your Bible. Romans chapter 12. I want to read you verses 4 through 8 here. Again, Paul writing. Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 4, he says this. Now, as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function. That's important. All the parts do not have the same function. In the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. That close connectedness again. Verse 6. According to the grace given to us, that means we don't deserve it, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the, pro- to the pro- proportion of one's faith. Verse 7, if service, use it in service. If teaching, in teaching. If exhorting, in exhortation. Giving with generosity. Leading with diligence. Showing mercy with cheerfulness. So he basically like throws out a handful of spiritual gifts that are given by God's grace. Not something we earn, but God gives graciously gifts. And he throws a couple out here. This isn't an exhaustive list, but this is a list nonetheless. And what he does is you, you see similar themes here in Romans than you see um, in 1 Corinthians 12. You see these themes of diversity, difference, of unity, of interdependence, of these gifts, everyone contributing, everyone receiving, right? And he, what he does is he relates the function of like a member of the body, right? So if, if, if Mark is the eyes of the body, he relates his function and contribution to the body with, with spiritual gifts, It's not limited to that, but it's important. Each of you created in the image of God, uniquely, with gifts. Not to give yourself a platform, not to make much of yourself, but so that other people around you can experience the love of God through you. And you're surrounded by a group of people, Christians in the room, you're surrounded by a group of people who similarly have gifts to contribute to your well-being to build up the entire body. Are you seeing this picture? I know this is like kind of elementary Christianity, but it's so big because I think oftentimes we depart from elementary Christianity. But God says, no, come back. Simple gospel. Simple practices. Trust me, obey me, follow me. Are you with me? Great. Okay, go ahead to flip to Ephesians chapter one. I'm making you bounce around. That's going to be to the right in your Bible. Ephesians chapter one, probably top five chapters in the Bible for me, Ephesians chapter one. I'm gonna read you verses 22 and 23. Listen to this. And he, the he there is God, verse 22, and he, God, subjected everything. Like not some stuff, not most stuff, but everything. He, God, subjected everything under his feet. The his there is Jesus in the context. So God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, Trinity, God, he subjected everything under Jesus's feet. It's the idea of authority, okay? Um, And appointed him, Jesus, as head over everything for the church, which is his what? Body. There's that imagery again. The fullness of one who fills all things in every way. So, Christians, every follower of Jesus, filled with the Spirit of God, every Christian, make up the parts of the body of Christ, okay? They make up the parts of the body, but Jesus is the head of the body. That means Jesus is the brain. That means Jesus calls the shots. Are you with me? And if I had more time, I'd take you through more scriptures. Ephesians 4, Ephesians 5, all over the New Testament, this imagery of body. It's, it's a reoccurring picture that we see. So you have this picture, right? The church, 
the people of God, the family of God, the church is a body with different parts, different members, okay? Different parts, different, have to have different roles. There's diversity. There's variety of gifts, all of them contributing and receiving to build up the health of the entire body. Interdependence. You with me? I just want to make sure we get this before we move on, okay? So, for the purpose of the overall health of the body. So let's talk about our church, like the structure of restored church, Temecula. Um, think about your body for a second. Your physical body. Everybody in this room, you have different systems in your body, right? You have like your nervous system, you have your digestive system, your muscular system, your skeletal system, all these systems, right? You guys remember learning this in school? Are you with me? Great. You have systems in your body and they all contribute to the structure of your body, how it's made up, right? Our church, this church, other churches, they're similar. They're similar. So let's talk about how we're structured as our church. First thing I want to talk about is just this idea of members. You read it in the scriptures. Members of the body. Um, This is not like Costco membership or like gym membership, you know, where you have like terms and conditions and contracts. That's not what we're talking about at all. But members, it's basically, it's Christians who are, who are um, intentionally utilizing their spiritual gifts. They're learning about their spiritual gifts. They're developing their spiritual gifts. That They're growing in their gifts, but they're intentional about utilizing those gifts to serve this body in a beautiful way and to love the world around them. You tracking with me? Okay. <clears throat> it's not limited, like I said, it's not just limited to their spiritual gifts. That's a, that's a big part of it, okay? Um, and like I said, this doesn't this isn't function like other memberships of the world, right? It's not Costco. It's not your gym. It's different. It's basically like, this is my local body. When we read about in the scriptures, they're referring to this global body of Christ. Every Christian, past, present, future, grafted into the body of Christ. With him as the head, him as the Lord. Okay? What we're talking about here is this, this, uh, an idea of a local expression of that body. Okay, that's what this church is. In the same way that I express my devotion to my wife through acts of service, through different ways, this is how we express our, our, our following Jesus locally. So, um, and basically what it means is like, I'm following Jesus intentionally with these people under the guidance of these pastors. You with me on this? Very simple, okay? And something to note, membership to the global body of Christ is eternal. Like, it never goes away. It's always last. It's it's everlasting, I should say. It's eternal, lasts forever. Membership to a local body, a local expression, how you express your connectedness to the global body. Membership to a local body is always seasonal. Always. Um, Whether it's you, um, you move to a new city, so you're not, you can't be physically there, or God gives you a new assignment. Or, I mean, every single one of us in this room, we're gonna die someday. So there will be a day when none of us are part of this local expression of the body of Christ. Are you with me? Being being a member of a local um, expression of the body of Christ is always seasonal. The question is, how long is that season going to be? So it's not a bad thing. Um, When we came up here to plant this church, we were members with Restored Church South Bay, and prior to that, members with Restored Church uh, Uptown. And when they sent us, we loved them. We have the same heartbeat. They're, 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 They're brothers and sisters, cousins in the faith. But this is the people that we're following Jesus with, with intentionality who frankly have like kind of the dibs on our spiritual gifts <clears throat> for the sake of this place, these people. Does this make sense? You with me? Okay. So um, one of the things, um, one of the things that's important to note is if you read the New Testament, you do not see a Christian who isn't um, expressing their membership to the global body of Christ, you do not see a Christian who doesn't belong to a local body of Christ, like a local expression of that body. You don't see it anywhere in the New Testament. If you can find one, let me know, because I'd, I'd love to know. I've, I've scoured the scriptures. You don't see it, okay? So if you have any questions, I'm not going to beat membership to death here this morning. If you have any questions regarding membership, we're actually going to have an intro to membership lunch on November 10th. Most likely going to do it in this room. You can have, ask questions. You can learn more about how we handle this as a church, what it means to be a member of our church, all that kind of stuff, all those questions. Those can be answered for you, okay? That's the first thing, members of the body of Christ. We're talking about the structure, okay? So members of the body of Christ. Uh, what about people who are like around, who are integrated into the life of our community, but they're not members? 
Like they haven't, they haven't fully said like, hey, this is the, this is the, these are the people that I'm following Jesus with under the guidance of these pastors. What about that? Here's what you need to know. Our church, we talk about why it exists. It exists for members as much as it exists for people who are around. So it's, it's not like one is more important than the other. <clears throat> Our church is as much for them, these people. Let's just call them guests for lack of a better word, okay? Our church exists for those people just as much as it exists for members of this local expression of the body. So, what, how would we define these kinds of people? Like, what, how does this contribute to the structure of this church? Well, think of it as this way. Guests can be, a, a, there's a lot of, like, variety. There's a lot of potential here, okay? Guests can be Christians who are just checking things out. Hey, uh, what's the, what are these people about? Like, what's their deal? What's their vision? What are they about? Are these, are these pastors trustworthy? Are the people genuinely wanting to follow Jesus? What are the priorities? What are the values? What's their mission? Like, they're getting a sense. They're getting a feel. Many of you have kind of spent a season of time going, hey, and, and rightfully so. It's a wise move. Hey, I'm trying to gather some information about this community. It's a beautiful thing. Okay, the church exists for those people just as much as it exists for anybody else. So it could be Christians who are genuinely trying to get an assessment on things. It could also be not yet Christians who are like investigating Jesus or investigating the church. Maybe they've heard terrible things. Hey, uh, the church hates these kinds of people. The church is hypocritical. The church is, I mean, we have a track record for a reason, a negative track record for a reason. So sometimes it can be not yet Christians who are like, you know what? I just want to get a feel. What is the church about? What is Jesus about? They're gathering information, okay? Um, this kind of season, again, using the word guest is lack of a better term. I couldn't come up with anything else. Um, how, how long that guest season lasts is different for different people. For some people, it's a longer season. For some people, it's a shorter season. And both are totally okay. It's a good thing. It's a very good thing. Um, one of the things that's really important to touch on, you need to be aware, like, anyone and everyone, hear me say this, anyone and everyone are welcome and invited to be part of our community. And I use those words, welcome and invited, like, intentionally. Because how many of you know there's a difference between, like, hey, yeah, you're welcome to come over, versus I'm inviting you to come over. Welcome says, like, yeah, you're allowed to. You wouldn't be shunned. It'd be fine. But an invitation is different. It's like, I want you. You're desired. So anyone and everyone, not just welcome, but invited to be part of this community. This is not an exclusive holy hub. If anything, this is, just for, this is, this is a community of people who need Jesus. Everyone, anyone, welcome and invited. Okay, but that being said... We believe, we're convinced that the church is the family of God. We are a family. Okay, so if your motives are sketchy, like if, if you're looking to cause division, if you're looking to take advantage of people, that's not going to fly. Um, if you spend some time reading the scriptures, the Bible refers to people like this as wolves. You familiar with this at all? as wolves, um, and wolves that they, they seek to devour or scatter or steal the sheep away. These are people who, who, who undermine the leadership. These are people who provoke division. They stir things up. They seek to take advantage of people. And typically, this is what it looks like. They typically are after money or sex or power or all of the above. Um, I've, been in, I've been in full-time ministry since 2006, since the winter of 2006. And <clears throat> in the last decades, however long it's been, of ministry, unfortunately, I can tell you I've had experience with like what the Bible would call wolves who come into the church communities seeking to devour, to scatter, to, to, to pull away, to hurt the sheep, basically. I remember, um, it's sobering when you encounter this. It's really, it really is. I remember there's a, a guy in the first church plant that we planted in San Diego. This is probably five or six years ago now, six years ago. Um, this young guy comes in, and, and that church in that season was full of, like, young professionals. Okay, there's no kids. It was, like, my eldest daughter, Amelia, and you guys know Andy. He was here last week. His son, Clive, they were the only kids in the whole school. So imagine the complete opposite of our church. <laughs> um, so you have lots of young professionals living in Hipsterville in uptown San Diego, and um, this young dude comes into the church and kind of, like, uh, um, 
attractive personality and kind of charismatic dude, handsome guy. And he comes into the church and kind of shortly after him coming in, it starts to become like the dude's trying to sleep with a bunch of girls. Like it's clear. It's like, and it's not just one, it's like multiple girls. And it became very clear that his motives, he didn't want Jesus. He wanted something else. Are you with me? So us as pastors talked to the guy gathered some information, and it was more than just that. It, kinda, it, was, it was worse than that. But it was like, hey, you're not welcome and invited into this community because your motives are to take advantage of these young ladies. Not going to fly. Um, in that same church, um, there was a season where um, a more seasoned man came into the church, older guy, um, and it was really interesting, guys. He... Um, he really wanted authority. Like he wanted a role and a title. I remember he was like adamant about like, hey, um, I have this certain, he's like, he had like a leadership degree or something in, in, in school. And he's like, hey, uh, you, sh- you guys should be submitting your sermon notes to me for review. And I was like, well, hey, I appreciate like if you're wanting to, like that's, could have good intentions, you know? Um, but it was clear that it wasn't just like an invitation. It was like, it was more than that. It was pressure and it was like, it was really bizarre um, and it became clear he, just, he really wanted authority. He really wanted a title. Um, and he, got, he began to kind of be outspoken about how he should be the one leading the church. It got really weird. Um, he should be the one giving the sermons. He should be doing these things. And it was like, dude, go, if, if you feel called to plan a church, let's help you do this. Like those kinds of things. Like, no, I'm not called to plan a church, but I'm called to basically do what you guys do for, like, in your place. It was just this really bizarre, I've never experienced anything like it. And what started to happen was, he began to kind of publicly undermine the pastors, make them look bad, make them like speak down about them behind closed doors. It was just this really weird um, thing. And then ultimately he tried to pull people away from the church. Just like classic wolf. Again, it wasn't about making much of Jesus. It wasn't like, hey guys, I disagree with theology. I think you're, I think you're not honoring God through your teaching. I think, you're, I think you're leading people astray and you're pastoring. It wasn't any of that. It was, I want authority, I want title, and I feel like I'm older than you, so maybe I can exploit you and get it from you. It was, this, it was bizarre, wolf. Um, and probably the most frequent one that I've seen throughout the years, the most frequent one that I've seen is people hanging around the community seeking money. This is by far the most frequent. Sometimes it's like they want to sell something, right? So they're not after, they don't want Jesus, they want customers. Other times they prey on the generosity of people. Um, Hear me say this. Generosity is good. Like to the degree that you understand the gospel and how generous God has been with you, you will live a radically generous life. You can't be aware of that level of generosity and not be generous yourself. One of the things I love about our church, friends, you guys, you guys are so practically and dare I say radically generous with each other. Whether it's um, helping pay bills when people are in trouble, whether it's, whether it's um, meal train meals for people who are um, having a difficult season, whether it's um, practically with your time and the ways that you serve each other and the ways that you care for each other's kids. Like, I, could go, I could go down the list of markers, of, about our, of, of, of characteristics about this community that are incredibly generous that remind me of Jesus. Okay, we, we, we ought to be generous people. It's a good thing. You hear me say that. Generosity is a good thing. Manipulating people to get money from them is not. Those are two very different things. And one of the things that I'm grateful of, we talk about like people wanting customers and not Jesus. We have many small business owners in our church. And I just want to affirm you. I'm like so proud. We have many um, independently, like, uh, like they're self-employed and they, they, they lead small businesses. And like, you guys are, you operate with integrity and honesty and character. Like, I'm so proud. We haven't had to deal with any of this yet as a church of people seeking money, not really Jesus. So I'm grateful for that. <clears throat> but what I want you to see, I just give you a handful of examples. What I want you to see is that wolves, they're a danger to the flock. They're, they're a danger to the sheep. So please hear, hear me say this. Everyone is welcome to be part of this community unless your motives are sketchy, okay? 
All right. In which case, if they are, thankfully, that's one of the reasons why God gives the church pastors. Okay, that's what we're going to talk about next, this idea of pastor. Um, maybe you've heard the word elder, pastor, elder. Those two words are synonymous in the New Testament. They're not two different things. They are literally the same thing, pastor, elder. I'm going to walk through this really quickly, okay? Um, maybe you've heard of like a board of elders. Anybody heard of that in the church? Raise your hand. Okay, board of elders. I like the sentiment, um, but we don't have a board of elders because we're not a corporation. We're a family. We do not have a board of elders. What we have is we have a team of pastors. Pastor, elder, synonymous, same thing. Okay, so it's not like, hey, these people just do this specific area of government. You'll see in a second. I'll break it down in Greek. Hopefully it'll be helpful. So we have a team of pastors, a team of elders. And when I say the word elder, I think in our culture, we think something different. We typically associate elders with age, right? We typically associate elders with age. I don't want you to think of elder in terms of age because it's not exclusively that in the Bible. Don't think in terms of age. Think in terms of spiritual maturity and responsibility. Spiritual maturity and responsibility. You see this in the New Testament. You see it with Timothy. Okay, Paul's like son in the faith, young dude, led the church in Ephesus. God did some amazing things. Young guy, elder in the first churches. You with me? Elder's not an age thing. It's a spiritual maturity thing and a responsibility thing. Okay? And what do elders do? They shepherd the flock of God. It's God's flock. It's his sheep. Elders, pastors, they shepherd God's flock. They protect God's flock from danger from the outside, right? Wolves and other things. But equally as important, danger from the inside. Because every single one of us has sin in our heart. We choose our way over God's way all the time, and it hurts the people around us. Danger from the outside, danger from the inside. Protect God's flock. Um, Really quickly, I know this is more vision than you used to, but stay with me. There's three words that we see used interchangeably in the New Testament to describe a pastor slash elder. Three different words. I'm going to read these to you really quick. The first is this, presbyteros. And what it means is it means elder, and it, it talks about this idea of govern, it govern, an elder governs and administrates the affairs of the church. Pretty simple, pretty straightforward. The next one, episkopos. This means overseer or guardian. See this picture? Overseer, guardian. And the third one is poimain, and it basically just means shepherd. Someone who is caring for God's flock. Uh, currently, our church has two of these. Two pastor elders, myself and Herrick. Um, and like I said, we're not a board. We are a team. We are a team of pastors, a team of elders, equal in authority. Okay, Herrick has just as much authority as I do. I have just as much authority as him. However, we do as a church believe in this idea of captaincy. Okay, we think it's biblical. You see it in the Trinity. You see the Father, no better than the Son or better um, than, than the Spirit, but operating it with captaincy. Are you tracking with me? Um, this is important because whenever we talk about any form of authority, especially the millennials in the room, the hair on the back of your neck stands up, you're ready to walk out of a room, don't tell me what to do because all of us have had a really, really, really bad experience with authority where authority has been used to kind of lord over you and control you instead of kingdom authority. But God's the Lord of all. His kingdom is very different than the kingdom that a lot of us operate in most of the time. Because in God's kingdom, authority is used differently. Authority always is used for the benefit of other people. That's kingdom authority. So when we talk about church structure, when we talk about um, organizing the church, when we talk about any form of authority, not just elders and pastors, when we talk about any authority in the life of the Christian, it's to be used for the benefit of other people. It's the highest level of service versus I get all the bonuses, all the money falls up to me, my life is easier because their life is harder. Upside down kingdom. Their life is easier because my life is harder. Because my authority doesn't exist for me, it exists for them. Are you with me? A shepherd exists for the well-being of the sheep. And things get so wacky when this gets reversed. And check this out, this, this principle doesn't just apply to the church. Those of you guys in business... Those of you guys that are in any form of leadership, military, business, school, all the above, your career, you, you have the opportunity to lead God's way. 
to use your authority for the benefit of those that you serve, not those that you lord over. Are you with me on this? It's a big deal. This is a big marker in the life of a Christian. We're part of a different kingdom. We're citizens, literally, of a different kingdom. We're free to operate with the values of that kingdom. We're going to get into those values in just a second. Um, and here's the thing, too. All of us, I'm a pastor. Whether you're a pastor or not, all of us submit to an authority. As a pastor, I submit to the authority of God's word and God himself. Um, in the 13th chapter of the book of Hebrews, there's this terrifying passage that talks about how pastors have to stand before God and give an account on how they shepherd God's flock. Me and Herrick take that really serious. I'm going to be honest with you. It kind of freaks me out. Because I know, like, I, I'm convinced God's called me to be a pastor. He's called me to serve in, in, a, specific, in a specific fashion, a specific way. And I'm not ignorant to the responsibility of that. I have to stand before, like just picture it in your mind with me. Like just allow me to vent and allow me to like share my insecurities with you. Like almighty God, creator of the universe, I'm gonna stand before him and he's gonna go, let's talk about how you, how you cared for my flock. It's a big deal, man. It's a big deal. So, that being said, if you ever see me or Herrick walking out of step with the gospel, walking out of step with scripture, please love us enough to confront us. Please. This isn't a game. This church doesn't exist so that I can have a job. A school doesn't exist to build buildings. A school exists for the students, not for the staff. If you see me or Herrick ever Walk out of step with the gospel. Walk in violation of scripture. In love, confront us. If I step out of line, that's one of the beautiful things about a team of pastors. I know Herrick's not here right now. He's actually in Puerto Rico. Um, interestingly enough, his grandmother's memorial service and my grandmother's memorial service were on the same day. So he's back in Puerto Rico spending some time with family. So he's not here today. But that's one of the beautiful things about having, being on a team of pastors. Herrick knows me. He knows where I'm tempted to sin. I know where he's tempted to sin. There's this mutual and like holding each other accountable. Why? Not for the sake of being religious. And frankly, not even primarily for you guys, although you are incredibly important, but for him. Because I have to stand before him, man. There's a uniqueness to this role. But either way, like there's a, there's a plus with a team of pastors, a team of elders, where we can help each other, hold each other accountable so to make sure that we're not abusing any authority that God's given us in any way, shape, or form. Um, I mentioned my, my grandmother passing away, and it, it's just always hard, you know? Like, just separation and death's always difficult. Um, and this week was interesting because uh, it was that, but it was also we got to celebrate my dad's birthday. So, um... There's that. I was leaving room for applause, but it's fine. <clears throat> I just love him. I want to honor him. But so yeah, so we spent, we had dinner together and just kind of spent some time um, trying to honor him and reflect on, on, on the way that he's cared for us as a family. And as I was considering this, I, I just became like aware of just how grateful I am for my dad and the ways that he's loved our family. Like, like he put me and my family, my mom, my dad, my brother, um, and more people too, but like he put us first, you know? Like sacrificially, not just out of obligation, although every parent at times, we parents out of obligation because we know it's the right thing and our heart isn't fully there, but like more often than not, he just loved us and sacrificed for us. Like he spent time and he spent money and he spent energy why? Like on my well-being, on the well-being of my family. Um, so much sacrifice, so much hard work. Like I'm trying to convince him to retire because he's been working too long for, or too hard for too long. So maybe you guys can put some pressure on him too. Um, but yeah, man, like, and I just, I was thinking about how grateful I am for my dad. He's not a perfect man. Okay, he's not, but he's loved me in profound ways, you know, and it shaped me. And I just thought about like my life, like, Simple things, right? Like you're a kid and you learn to ride your bike. Like my dad taught me how to ride my bike, you know? Um, music's been a kind of a source of refuge for me 
my life? In my life, like, I can encounter God. I can be with him. It's almost like my quiet place. I can grab my guitar and just sing to him and be with him. And it just has meant a lot to me. And like my dad taught me how to play guitar, you know? And not just like those kinds of things, but like he taught me how to tell the truth. He taught me how to honor people. He taught me how to love a woman. Like he taught me these important things, you know? And like in sacrifice, like I, I, when I was a kid, I loved basketball. It was like my life. Okay, I know you look at me and you're like, sure you did. Um, <clears throat> but legitimately, like it, it was a passion. I loved it. I loved playing. I used to be good at it, like those kinds of things. And, and, and I remember like at the house I grew up in, uh, like we never had a lot of money, but our, my parents worked really hard, you know? And my dad's like, hey, like what do you feel about us installing a basketball hoop in the front yard? And I remember being like, are you serious? Like, other kids have basketball hoops in the front yard. That would be incredible. And he's like, let's do this, you know? And so he didn't just like, he didn't just do it half-heartedly and just get the cheapest thing he could. Like, they had to have saved. They like installed this basketball hoop in the cement, this like wall. And he didn't just get the cheap basketball. He, he got like the clear, the clear one. Do you know what I'm talking about? The clear backboard. And it was like, this is so, this is way more than I could have ever expected. And like, we literally played with that thing our whole childhood, but like sacrifice for practical ways. Like it wasn't that much of a benefit to him at all, really, but it was a huge benefit to us. And I remember when, when music really started to become like, I really became passionate about it. And I remember my dad like, okay, we need to get you some, we need to get you some gear and not just like the cheapest thing to get by, you know, but like good stuff. It was a sacrifice for them to do that. And more importantly than all of that stuff, my, my dad, he, he helped me get integrated into an environment where I encountered the love of Jesus. Like he introduced me to my real father, my heavenly father. And ever since then, like he's been encouraging me to follow Jesus passionately ever since. When we talk about pastors, when we talk about elders, they're spiritual fathers. That's what they are. That's the job description. It's not manager. It's not CEO. They're spiritual fathers. My dad, his primary concern was the well-being and the flourishing of his family. Like not his own comfort, not his own amusement, hear me say this, the same is true of pastors. That's what, that's what it is. And I know this room well enough to know not everybody in the room has had a positive experience with leadership in the church. No matter how amazing your earthly father was, every person has daddy issues. Every person. I'm equally as convinced that most people have spiritual daddy issues too. Kids are going nuts. <laughs> and I'm not close. Okay, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta speed up. I gotta speed up. Woo! So, I speak for Herrick when I say this. This is important. Our primary concern, apart from our families and stuff, but in regards to ministry, our primary concern as pastors is the well-being and the flourishing of this family. It's important, okay? And hear me say this. We are committed to do whatever it takes to see every single one of you passionately following Jesus. Because the church is a family. That's what it is. We can pretend it's something else and operate like it's something else, but if we want to obey the scriptures, the church is the family and pastors are spiritual fathers. Um, how much do I have? Okay, I've got to fly. I'm going to skip a bunch of stuff. Um, ladies, really quick. It's important. I want to talk about this for just a second. You need to understand you are equally in val- or you're equal in value to men. We will, we will unapologetically talk about this because so oftentimes you, you guys are like, for some reason, absent from the equation when we talk about leadership in the church and how it's structured. Ladies, you are equally in value to men. We do not, as a church, we do not believe that God gives gifts based on biology. Like as in, God gives certain spiritual gifts only to men. 
Like these ones are only for people with these genetics and these ones are only for people with these genetics. We don't believe that at all. I don't believe the Bible teaches that. Okay? Um, We believe that women can and should lead in the church. Okay? That includes providing leadership to men. Here, stay with me. Okay, I know especially in this area, this is maybe kind of controversial, but we believe that, that women can and should lead in the church. That includes providing leadership to men. We believe that women can and should teach and preach in the church. This includes teaching men. We believe that women were made in the image of God just as much as man is. And hear me say this, this church needs women just as much as it needs men because they were created in the image of God the same way that man was. Okay, not only does our church need this, but the world needs this. And I know some of you right now are thinking, what about 1 Timothy 2? Like, come on, man, like, teach with authority. I'm convinced that's talking about eldership. And here's why I'm convinced it's talking about eldership. Um, Because there are a plethora of examples, Old Testament, New Testament, of women teaching men, providing leadership and care and service to men. Because here's the thing, what what does kingdom authority look like? Used for the benefit of others, not to lord over them. It's the lead servant, okay? Go to the Old Testament, go to the New Testament. You will, Deborah, she was a judge. Judge over the house of Israel, teaching and leading men, okay? Priscilla, Apollos, this gifted teacher in the church, she teaches him the gospel because his teaching was not informed by the gospel. He's an eloquent teacher, an eloquent speaker. Priscilla comes alongside him and teaches him. Phoebe, the vast majority of scholars on both sides of the aisle here, the vast majority of scholars uh, are convinced that Phoebe was the first person to teach the book of Romans to the Roman church. She literally delivered it. So listen, when the Bible speaks of eldership being men only, it's referring to the role of spiritual fathering, not spiritual gifts. Are you with me? Sort of like in the same way me as a man, I will never be a mother. Ever. No matter what. That doesn't mean I'm less than. That doesn't mean I'm less than at all. So I just want to be clear. Women, equally important to men. Equally value. This church backs you and we need your leadership. Okay, I, I don't have time to go too much into more on pastors and stuff. If you have questions about this, we can talk about it. We do believe that eldership is reserved for men, pastors reserved for men, but we believe that women are, are, un, are, are just as valuable and there's no limit to spiritual gifts to teach and lead the body. You with me? Okay. Um, the only other office that we see uh, in the scriptures is the office of deacon. It's the only other one that's even mentioned in the scriptures when we talk about uh, leading in the local church. I'll go through this quick. The Greek word for deacon is diakonos. And what it means is it means servant, helper, someone who ministers alongside. Okay, so basically, these are people with with character, with spiritual maturity that come alongside the elders to lead and serve the church in practical ways. Okay, so... Uh, those are people who like would, would lead in specific areas of ministry. So those would be like, um, like Tracy with kids or Mark with, with the music team and, and others. Uh, the gospel community leaders that you saw up here. That would be a biblical form of, of deacons, okay? Um, I think it's really important really quick to talk about our GC leaders. Um, with gospel community being such an important part of the makeup, the structure of our church, These are men and women who facilitate community. These are men and women who are tone setters and influencers who work alongside pastors to facilitate spiritual formation. Like, you might be saying, tone setters and influencers of what? This is really important. Tone setters and influencers of of our family values. Um, We've talked about this a bit. How many of you guys know the difference between something that you value in theory and something that you value in practice? You've heard me say this before. So value in theory would be like, I value spending time with my wife. I value being with her. That's the theory. If my calendar doesn't show that I spend any time with my wife, I don't, I don't seek her heart. I don't try to understand her. I don't prioritize time with her. I can say that I value spending time with Ebony, but if, I, if it doesn't reflect my calendar, it's more of a, belief, it's more of a, of a value in, in theory than it is a value in practice. Are you with me? Okay? Our church has values. In the same way that any family has values, things that they prioritize, things that are important to them, things that would describe who they are as people, we have those as well. 
gospel, family, dependence, mission, multiplication, and renewal. I'm not, I don't have time to go into all these, but we want our community to not just value these six things on paper, but actually if someone were to look at our community and go, those people really value the gospel. Like they always talk about the gospel. Everything comes back to the gospel. It's not like, hey, you really should consider like eating right, working out, all those are fine. Like everything comes back to the heart, to what you're worshiping. And the gospel is the only thing that can transform your worship. You're all worshiping something right now. Whether or not it's Jesus, I don't know, but the gospel is the only thing that can break in and draw your attention away from an idol back to God. We want to be people centered on the gospel. We have the church as a family. We want to be dependent on the Holy Spirit because apart from him, the scripture said we can do nothing. That word nothing, it means nothing. It's important, okay? Gospel, family, dependence, mission. We want to be, we want to, we want to pursue people in the way that God's pursued us. We want that to describe our community. This idea of multiplication. We don't want to just add a bunch of people. We want to multiply. We want to make disciples who make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples. We want to plant churches that plant churches that plant. We don't want to just assemble and add a bunch of people into a room because uh, frankly, it's not the best strategy to advance God's kingdom. What did Jesus do? He took 12, 12, changed the whole world. Give me one other organization that's lasted more than 2,000 years. Jesus knows what he's doing. (laughs) Love you. Jesus knows what he's doing, okay? So we want our values to be values in, in practice, not just in theory, okay? So our GC leaders, these are men and women who are, who, are, who are living their life in such a way that they reinforce these values, not perfectly, but they're committed to it because they love the church. They love Jesus. They want to see his name, they want to see him made much of. So they're people who reinforce these values and they're people who inv- invite others to join them in actually living them out. Imperfectly, yes, but over time, becoming more and more like Jesus. Please pray for them. Please. In doing so, you're, it's going to bless you. Like, it's, it's ultimately for you, but please pray for them. They make sacrifices to love you. They make sacrifices to see people grow and thrive. They're literally, they're like a living picture. They're a gift to us. They really are. Um one of my primary responsibilities moving forward is to, be, is to ensure the health of our gospel community leaders and our gospel communities. I'm going to devote mo- most of my time to that because all of us need care. Every single person in this church needs to be reminded of the gospel in practical ways. All of us have genuine spiritual needs and practical needs. And like, I'd be, an, I'd be an, a moron to think that I can somehow meet all those needs or Herod can somehow meet all those needs. No, what is the picture we read about today? The Bible describes the, describes the church as a body where we care for each other in a beautiful way. So most of my time is going to be dedicated to that. So what that, might, what that might look like is there might be times when I'm not as available as you'd like me to be. And it's not because I don't love you. It's because I do love you. And for our church to get the care that it needs, all of us, that means we all need to be equipped and empowered. We need to multiply leaders. We need to, we need to be able to empower and equip the members, the parts of the body to provide care to the other members and parts of the body. Okay, I'll finish with this. I'll call the band up. I just bought back some time, guys. So don't worry, I know you guys are like, oh, he's, only, he's, he's not going to cut short, is he? I'm not going to cut, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get you out of here in time, okay? We're close, I promise. <clears throat> the plane is coming in for a landing. Okay. I want you to see, I want you to see why our church and its structure exists. Because if you don't understand the why, you're just going through the motions. And it's going to do nothing, there's no power in that. Okay, I want you to understand why our church and its structure exists. The church, it exists for the disciple, for the follower of Jesus. Yes, for the member of the body who receives from and contributes to other members of the body. Yes, and the church exists for the not yet disciple. Equally, the not yet disciple. For those who don't know the love of Jesus or who aren't connected to the body in a meaningful way where they are contributing their unique spiritual gifts and receiving from the body for the disciple, for the not yet disciple, or the disconnected Christian. 
But there's one more reason, and this is the most important reason. If, if, if it was like a podium, you know, where like you're in a race and you have first place, second place, third place, like the Olympics, this reason would be the one in the center. This would be the reason with like the gold medal around its neck. Okay, let me read you something out of Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. Stay with me. I know I'm going long, but this is important. Colossians 1, verse 18. He, should be up there, great. He, the he there is Jesus, is also the head of the body. There's that word again. The church. He, Jesus, is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. You know what first place is? There's nothing more important. There's nothing better than that. Like, um, the ESV translated that he would be preeminent. The, the, the NIV says that he would have supremacy. Hands down, the most important reason that this church exists is so that Jesus would be first place in everything. Not some things. Like Everything. Do you know what, this, what this, this verse is talking about? It's a race, like if you think about it like a race first place, it's like a race for your heart. It's, it's this verse is talking about your worship. Like yours. Not just the people sitting next to you. Your worship. What you ascribe the most worth to. Everything that we do, all of our structure, why we exist, all of our structure exists to facilitate discipleship to and worship of Jesus, unapologetically. Guys, we're not just followers of Jesus. We're worshipers of Jesus. Yes, we want to do what he says. We do. It's wise. It's the best move. It's best for us. It's best for the world around us. We are not, hear me say this, we are not just followers of him. We are worshipers of him because he's the most worthy. He's the most worthy. He's worthy of first place in your life in every area, dude. He's worthy of first place. Like who else knows everything terrible about you? Like all the bad stuff, the stuff that people don't know. Who else knows everything terrible about you? Your sin, the way that you disregard him, the ways that you hurt other people around you, the ways that we all are selfish. Who else knows everything terrible about you and doesn't leave you? Not only does he not leave you, but he doesn't destroy you. Guys, Jesus is holy. Holy. There's zero evil in him. He's righteous in all of his ways. He's a hundred percent good. And he hates evil. He loves the world and hates evil. So when I sin against my wife, he loves her. And the sin that I, I, I he loves her. When I sin against her, it deserves his wrath, not because he's mean, but because he's just. Like, I deserve punishment because I hurt people that he loves. And you're just like me. He's holy. Like, it always amazes me. Like, he has every right to destroy me every time I sin. And he would be, he would be right for it. Because in some way, not, not only does it like fully rebel against him and say, actually, I know better than you, but it hurts people he loves. I'm, I'm shocked every time he doesn't destroy me because he should. It would, be, it would be good. It would be good of him to destroy someone evil who's hurting other people. But he doesn't, or at least he hasn't yet. Thank God. Like he hasn't destroyed me. He hasn't destroyed me for sinning against him, for sinning against other people. And friends, that's what makes the cross so remarkable. 
that's what makes the cross so remarkable. Like it's the most painfully beautiful thing ever, ever. Instead of me being destroyed for me sinning against him, he is destroyed for me sinning against him. It's nuts. John 15, verse 13. No one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. Me, the sinner, God calls a friend and said, I'll willingly lay my life down for you. Friends, there's no greater love than the love of Jesus for you. Nothing even comes close. There's nobody like him. Friends, we're not just followers. We worship him. He's so worthy. We're not just followers. We're worshipers. I was, um, I, I was, I took a walk this last week and, um, I was just kind of praying and it's been, there's been a lot of ups and downs, you know, this week and I was praying and I just, I felt this overwhelming sensation. I was like, I just want to be with him. Like, I just want to touch him. I just want to hold him. I want to see his face. I want to hear his voice like audibly. I want to touch him. I want to be with him so bad, you know? And I can't yet, you know? And it's not like I'm not having suicidal thoughts. I'm just, I want to be with him, you know? I just got to remind, like, he's coming, man. He's on his way. He's patient. He doesn't destroy people like me. He's patient. He's waiting for people to come. Hey, if I come now, Tom, I'm bringing judgment. He's coming. He's on his way. But listen to me, until then, until I get to see my Jesus face to face, until I get to see him, the closest thing that any of us have to physically being with Jesus is what? His body. His people filled with his spirit, living like him, speaking like him, loving like him. I love this church. Unapologetically, I love this church. I see him in you. Every single one of us is imperfect. I see him in you. I see the way you love each other. I see the way you serve each other. I see the way you forgive each other. I see him in you. And hear me say this. I will do whatever it takes for the world to see him in you too. That's the job. That's the rule. That's why this church and its structure exists. So, will you stand with me if you're able? I want to pray for us. We are way late. We'll do like one. Is that okay, guys? Um, I'm going to pray for us. Um, but before I do, I'm just going to listen for a bit. I want to ask you, I know, I'm, I know I'm long and I know that our attention spans might be affected by that, but I want to ask you to really like listen in. I'm convinced that God wants to do something this morning in, in, in a lot of people. I'm going to listen for a bit and pray, okay? Will you join me? I feel like God's highlighting this idea of kind of spiritual abuse and spiritual pain. Like what, um, whether it was through spiritual fathers or spiritual brothers and sisters or even like the way you've experienced the structure of the church, that there's pain there that you haven't fully dealt with. There's hurt. It's causing you to be skeptical. It's reinforcing doubts. And I really believe God wants to bring some healing in those areas this morning like he himself wants to. Because without healing in those areas, you will not be able to experience him through his body the way he intends for you to. I feel like he's highlighting this phrase um, that you're not good enough. Something about you is not good enough. Something about you um, you need, you need to try harder or you need to do more. And I, I feel like God wants you to know that's a complete lie. You need to receive more. 
not do more. Holy Spirit, I ask that every single one of us this morning, regardless of the ways that we've experienced the abuse of authority, um, that we would see you and your authority as perfect and as good. And it would bring freedom to us. We can trust you. We know that you don't want to hurt us. You sent your son to die for us. You don't want to hurt us. You want to free us. We're not good enough, but we're radically loved. We can't earn for ourselves. We can't earn salvation for ourselves. But it's something that's given to us freely as a gift. So would you open our hearts, Holy Spirit, to receive that gracious love, that gracious forgiveness, that gracious intimacy don't want to just be this distant father. You want to be integrated into every area of our lives. You want to teach us stuff. You want to show us stuff. You want to teach us how to spiritually ride our bike. You want to teach us how to uh, shoot a jump shot. You want, you want to teach us and, and engage with us in very practical ways. You want to teach us how to love the ways that you have loved us. Spirit of God, that's my prayer. You would show us. You, you would father us, God. Don't let anything get in the way of that. I love you, Jesus, and I praise you, and I ask these things in your name.